Welcome back to the podcast. How are you guys? Wow. No way. <laughs> so cool. Well, that's Rob Zaleski. And that's Morgan Beard. Hi. This is the part of the podcast where we don't give advice and we just, <laughs> just fucking talk. <laughs> just whatever we feel like saying. Yeah, this is like, the free segment and the mm-hmm. next is the advice segment. Yeah. It was originally called free... Comma. Comma advice. And then we were Act like, one, oh, free. people don't want to be typing in commas on their podcast app. You no. know, they just want to stick to the regular 26 letters in the space. So let's just call it free advice and they can figure it out later. We used to call it fradvice for a phase because we were like, let's make it extra short. Mm-hmm. And then no one knew what that was. Yeah. And then um, we had a version of it where it was Fredvice and only people named Fred could write in asking about what a good vice would be for them. And we usually said cocaine and there weren't that many Freds. So it's, it's a dying name. Parents, uh, parents, please start naming your kids Fred again. Think about it. What was the last Fred, Fred Flintstone? Because he was a long time ago. Yeah, it seems like this is a really useful PSA that demands the national spotlight right now. Can I clarify my last statement? Please. I don't mean to say that the last Fred being Fred Flintstone is like, it was so long ago that it's when the fictional character Fred Flintstone would have lived. I'm talking about when that character was created in like the 1950s or whenever. That was the last time anyone was named Fred. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I'm not trying to make some gross exaggeration that the last Fred was the BC character Fred Flintstone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Good. Now we can get back to important matters. Like? Like me turning my gain down. <laughs> Can you just ask me Should to move I away from mine? my mic a little bit? <laughs> hey, Rob. Yeah. Would you do me a favor? Yeah. Would you move? <laughs> no, you didn't. If you only knew what my childhood was like. Oh. <laughs> Motherfucker. I feel like of most people, I have a better than average understanding of your childhood, I would say. If you only knew the the amount of suffering. When I was a child, I wasn't allowed within three feet of a mic. And now you're going to tell me. I have to move back from the mic that I earned. Oh, this puts me back into the dark place. You do not put me in the corner. Oh, no, you do not. Wow. This is, this is so free. It hurts. It is. <laughs> um, Dude. Yeah. Freedom does hurt like that. Mm. Tell me about the pains of freedom. I don't think people want absolute freedom. Mm. That's death. Maybe some people do. I do. You wanna, <laughs> that but, sounds great. But you want to be dead. <laughs> absolute freedom and death <laughs> sound perfect. Um, All freedom is relative, right? Totally. You, totally. You, you trade in one type of freedom for another. Well... Uh, one very real thing is the paradox of choice of having too much choice. We end up less happy because we spend so much time agonizing over what's the best choice. Mm -hmm. What's the optimal choice when it may have been better to just evaluate a manageable number of options and then focus your energy on enjoying what you've chosen. Mm -hmm. I suffer from that a lot. Yes. Constantly. Tennis is better with nets. That's what I always say. (laughs) Yeah, you have to have some structure to 
find the right balance of uh, interest and challenge. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's just two people standing there with balls. (laughs) Yeah. And that's no good. That's the YMCA sauna where I've been making some great (laughs) friends recently. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Last time you talked about Mark. Yeah, so there was Mark in the sauna. Uh, should we do another uh, sauna uh, segment? S- sauna segment inside the sauna. All right, um, hot tails. Sauna with... talks. <laughs> hot tails with Rob Zaleski. Um, so I go into the sauna this time. Yeah, and uh, I started talking to somebody about Penn Jillette being on Joe Rogan <laughs> and how I really liked this episode. Uh-huh. And uh, another guy was I was. He was like, I don't know who that is, Penn Which one? Okay. And um, so the guy was like, oh, no, you know Penn and Teller. You've seen Penn and Teller. I'm sure you've seen them. They've been around. They're those like, right. they're funny, they're magician dudes. Yeah. And then uh, he starts complaining about Trump. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> pretty quickly tra- transferred. Wait, how did that, that happen? What was the... I can draw the lines okay. for you if you want, but... Uh, is it not interesting uh, or valuable? I'll do, uh, Penn and Teller ran a show called Bullshit. Oh, okay. Um, which okay, that's was, pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, and then it quickly devolved into like righteous indignation and the sure. value of that and how Penn's great at it. And then this guy was, like, was experiencing some of his own and had an audience and started complaining about oh, all the fucked up laws yeah. and all the things that he'd heard about. And some of it was pretty compelling and not like the same talking points that I had heard before about, sure. you know, um, immigrant uh, holding facilities being inhumane and things like that that sure. are, are serious issues. Um, but I've also heard talked about many times before and it would be less interesting to me if someone in the sauna brought that up. So he had some new stuff. And uh, I was hitting like 18 minutes at this point. So I just left the uh, oh, yeah, the yeah, rest yeah. of the people in the sauna to yeah. just be recipients of this guy's tirade. What a great place where you can just excuse yourself because it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm literally will die if I stay in here. Yeah, so bye. Exactly. <laughs> and then they'd be like, you understand. <laughs> I have to leave. If only I could have said that so many times growing up. I will literally die if I stay listening to this conversation. So, uh, peace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should, you should always have your important conversations in saunas, people, because you always have a getaway card. It's the perfect out. Use the sauna as a container for all of your meaningful relationships. If you ever... <laughs> experience this this fear which i know that you've been there if you're listening to this (laughs) Ooh, i'm really starting to like this person but oh it's gonna suck when things end i'm gonna feel really bad about breaking up with them or it's gonna hurt a lot when i get dumped one way or another this is gonna suck okay have that combo in a sauna do it in the sauna Confine all of your interactions with this person to the sauna. Then you will both go in with the understanding that life is finite. Love is not forever. Finite. Everyone dies. Yeah. yeah. It's it's finite is a totally cool way to say it. Finite. Morgan was giving me shit about calling it finite. She was like, it's finite. I was like, you don't say infinite. Uh, say let's infinite. go back to the tapes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I don't know back if I did any tapes. of that. I just repeated it back to you, I think. What do you mean? I think I just said finite. Oh, oh. Yeah, but I remember the other day when you were teasing me for be like, what do you call it? Finnet? Was this the same conversation? This was like a week ago. I don't so. think we did this. Oh, really? I don't think Somebody this was gave me. me shit for saying Finnet the other day. And you don't think it was you? I'm pretty I, sure. I give you. you shit for saying other things, but I don't think I've 
I don't recall this particular one. I could, of course, be wrong. There's a great chance that I'm Dude, wrong. you're right. It wasn't you. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Was it? I'm not going to say. Name them. Call them out. I'm not going to say. <laughs> okay. Fair. Fine. Um, okay. Does that, was that the end of the sauna sit down segment? Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, that was sauna sit down with <laughs> Rob Zaleski. Ooh, it's hot. <laughs> Can you sweat it? <laughs> um, all right. You, okay. So fine. You didn't like that tagline. Fine. Whatever. It We're still workshopping it. Ooh, it's hot. <laughs> sure. Sure. Doesn't mean I can't like suggest a plan, a plan B. No, you totally can. It just yeah. makes it worse. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Well, then I'll just like leave and you can do the podcast <laughs> and make all the good jokes you want and you won't have to deal with any bee crap. Do bees crap? They must, right? Uh, yeah. How big are those craps? Probably not that Smaller big. Smaller than a bee. Right. Like well. a lowercase b. <laughs> so, uh, before we get into asking advice from strangers... Um, do you have any advice you want to ask for this week? Um, no. Do okay. you? Mm, nothing's Six. like coming to mind. Okay. Nothing's top of mind right now. Um, but I am happy. I'm happy to attempt or I'm happy to, uh, go right into the lightning round. I um, want to ask you if you'd like to share anything that you've been thinking about in terms of attachment theory. Oh. Earlier, you told me you'd listen to a podcast that was very interesting. You could just summarize That's what right. you heard on this other That's podcast. Right. Yes. It's kind of how I did with Penn Gillette on Joe Rogan. Great. I told great. you very little about what he said on Joe Rogan, but do listen to that episode. It was great. <laughs> okay. I, I think it was won't. episode 1343. <laughs> do you think or do you know? I believe it was episode 1343. I'm, I'm not a positive. Believer. But uh, okay. Joe Rogan Experience, 1343, type it in on YouTube, put it on while you're doing the laundry or the dishes or driving to work. Yeah. Wherever you listen Don't to podcasts. Don't listen to this podcast. Listen Once to again, podcast. <laughs> this, is, this is just a feeder podcast to get you to Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan uh, minor league is what this is. <laughs> Once you're good and ready, you'll ascend to the plane of enlightenment that is the Joe Rogan Experience. <laughs> Does anyone ever come back to us? No. Okay. No. Once you discover Joe, what need have you for Rob and Morgan when you can be <laughs> Joed out all the time? <laughs> yeah. Your obsession with Joe is a little troubling. Uh, uh, then uh, you have trouble with uh, male youth in America because we're all obsessed. One nation under Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe yeah. Rogan podcast. I feel like. I love that line in support of white parents. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> At the end of the thing, Joe Rogan podcast. Would you like to pitch yeah. or plug? Uh, Morgan and I saw a show parents. on Friday that we, we both uh, adored. I won't speak for you, but. Yeah, um, we did adore yeah, it. What's it the great. basic premise? <clears throat> um, an Asian girl uh, wishes that she had supportive white parents who supported her dreams of being an actor and being a performer. And uh, instead, they just want her to be a doctor. And then she wishes on a sh shooting star to get those supportive white parents. And she realizes she gets them. And she's like, oh, fuck, this has its own set of problems. And like, yeah. I never learned to play the piano because they never forced me to do anything. <laughs> they were just like really open minded and loving of whoever I was. And I built no skills. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> was there are other jokes musical. and that, that was, seeds of truth there, too. Yes. Do you have any show. that you wanted to 
No, what it did was I just miss great. that made you say no, that? I must have no, missed something. No. When you said that I mean, you missed a lot, but like, like it, what, it was just what's the most pressing thing to you? Um, so she was struggling primarily with um the this the pressures of being uh the child of immigrants who want so badly for their kids to succeed and then often pressure their kids, you know, past maybe a point where they should or you know i don't know if i want to put that value judgment on it um but because they had sacrificed so much she was feeling so much pressure to um fulfill what was called in uh the philippines the dead of the heart and yeah. i don't remember what the phrase was yeah, I mean, it yeah. was like goo goo galoo but that wasn't <laughs> that's it that's the name of the language <laughs> yeah <what> <laughs> um but anyway uh the, the crux of the conflict is like do i pursue this path uh, for the good of the this tribe that is my family, or do I go out and try to find what individually makes me successful? And I thought it was a really uh, a great way to frame the difference in values between like Eastern and Western mm -hmm. cultures right now. Is you know, it, are we individualist more... versus collectivist? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't, yeah, I don't think there is like a right or wrong, but I certainly think the modern world, or you know, the first world, is. Um, heading towards a more individualistic place, which I think has a lot of benefits for the individual, but it also has a lot of uh, pitfalls for the individual. I think... Like a lowered uh, sense of belonging the, uh, or duty. American tradition is an individualist culture, but you just said that the first world is heading mm. towards individualism. I think, I think it might be heading away from it. I'm not hmm. sure. Like commercially, yes, there's have everything customized for yourself and like isolate into a tiny box where everything is delivered to you in an automated world and like we're less interdependent. But there's also a rise of nationalism happening right now hmm. across the world. And China is rapidly emerging as the world power. Um, yeah. And that is a more collectivist mm -hmm. culture. So that's true. I'm, hmm. Yeah. They're, are there more I, maybe people I should in China have said Western. The US and all of Europe. Is maybe that, I should have said Western. Um, yeah. Interesting. Either way, both have yeah. strengths and both have weaknesses. Um, and I think that the more we can strive for balance versus mm. going headstrong into one on an individual and a group level. This is. Um, what are they? This reminds me of like altruistic selfishness or mm. like the uh, fix your own oxygen mask first. I think you can have a broad collectivist agenda and support that by individualist uh, tactics. Yeah. For like a I collectivist agree. strategy. I agree. Um, and so I think let's say that this character in this show uh, pursues their performing dreams mm -hmm. and is far more successful with that than they ever would have been um, doing their duty to their family and becoming mm -hmm. a doctor. And that allows them to better support. That's the rapper buying their mama a new house. Like that, yeah. that trope. <laughs> um, that I hope that that's how this story ends for yeah. however autobiographical that show is. I yeah. hope that the main character uh, that joy um, finds even more success as a performer than she ever could have imagined finding as a doctor. And that, uh, it's like, a she proves that, Hey, you never should have doubted, or maybe it's still reasonable to doubt, but proves that she made the right decision. Yeah. Um, 
even uh, even just evaluating it strictly on like financial terms if uh if this show becomes a hit or something that she does 10 Mm -hmm. years from now 20 years from now becomes a hit that uh allows her to support her family in a way that being a doctor couldn't that would be like the happiest ending i could imagine for that story totally i mean i I think that my life path and Mm -hmm. you know what i'm doing as a career is very much very much buys into the idea that if we understand ourselves as well as we possibly can to know what are our unique gifts and where is that overlap between our gifts and our passions, yes, uh, that's the strongest way that we can uh, contribute to society as a whole. Because when is... we're fulfilled and enjoying ourselves and using our biggest gifts, this is called ikigami, I believe. What <laughs> is this? Not... It's either kintsugi or ikigami. <laughs> It's a, a four-circled Japanese Venn diagram, Ooh. which is what you are good at, yes. what the world okay. needs, what makes you money, and what you enjoy doing. Yeah, great, and exactly. Your purpose is, or the, the like, ultimate. I think yes. it's called Ikigami, is in the center of those four things. And most people do some combination of two or three, like what they enjoy and what makes them money, but not what they're necessarily good at. I think a lot of people do one. Yes. Or none. Some people just die and or do, don't do shit. <laughs> Some people just sit in the sauna and never leave the conversation Some and then people, they're dead. <laughs> yes, they, just, they just listen and they are totally on board for all this Trump bashing stuff and then they don't have any more sweat in their body and they shrivel into a yeah. resin. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, so yeah. if do you want me to quickly explain the attachment yes. theory thing, so, and then we can go do. into lightning round? Okay. Um, so I was telling Rob Wait, um, before we get off the topic of, of supportive white parents. Yes, I recommend this to anyone who's listening yes. in Los Angeles. I was kind of hoping you would do that. Sure, oh, here I am <laughs> doing it. Um, it is at the Second City Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard, uh, Fridays at eight p.m. going until December thirteenth. It's the last show, I believe. This is a really great show. It's like an hour long. I think tickets are twelve bucks or something like that. Um, it's hilarious. I've seen it's it twice. profound. Rob's seen it twice. Great music. Uh, very funny. Very touching. Yeah. Anyone who has any parents would probably <laughs> find some of their self in the show. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So I was listening to this podcast today uh, called Personality Hacker is the mm-hmm. name of the podcast. And it was actually uh, my psychiatrist recommended it to me for a completely different purpose. And then I've just kind of been like looking through their catalog and seeing what titles were interesting to me. And I've always been fascinated by attachment theory, which is basically uh, the idea that, you know, the ways that we were able to attach to or relate to our caregivers Mm -hmm. uh, dictates how we approach relationships and feeling secure or not in them um, for the rest of our lives. Yes. Um, And so they had someone on and I wish I knew their name, but I do not. Um, but you can look it up. It's I think the title of the episode is called Attachment Theory in Relationships. And the podcast is Personality Hacker. Okay. And uh, he just did a really wonderful job of explaining attachment theory and the ways that it shows up in adult relationships. Uh, it, it was so clear. And cr- the examples that he used were very like illustrative. Um, and it was easy to identify, okay, when am I... Uh, acting from a from a position of you know being securely attached. When am I uh, behaving more like uh, the sort of dichotomous pair that he mentioned of the hailstorm type versus the turtle type? Mm. And so the hailstorm type, uh, both both hailstorm and uh, turtle 
are examples or poles of insecure attachment. Yes. So secure storm is giving lots and lots of in a way that hurts the other person. Is that um, you explain? Okay, I will. <laughs> Don't worry. I was going to just leave I'm you at that guess. and be like, okay, bye. Turtle, I imagine, is obvious, is retreating. Sure. Right? Yes. Okay. Um, in sort of simplified terms. But Hiding. Yeah. So the hailstorm person is the person who is is anxious, uh, preoccupied attachment style. So they are constantly kind of testing for love. And mm-hmm. the person who is uh, fundamentally fears abandonment and so, is, and so is always kind of checking in or creating drama to... Uh, test for the other partner's love and and test for their attachment to them, Um, which ultimately, of course, pushes the partner away Mm -hmm. um, because that type often finds themselves with a turtle. And the turtle's fear is engulfment. Mm -hmm. Um, She's got the shell. Yes. And fear of rejection, Mm -hmm. fear of being known so fully that you uh, discover their fundamental flaw and then then you don't want to be attached to them. So sometimes those people will be like all self-righteous, but really they're just afraid to be rejected. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I sure. understand that. I know a good mm-hmm. thing or two about turtles. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Because sometimes I'm like a turtle where I just shrink up really little. Yeah. What's yeah. the voice you're doing right now, Rob? I don't know. It's just part of my subconscious. <laughs> I thought it was Ding Dong of I One Hump Heart. I make them pay for tickets if they want to know that content. <laughs> okay, anyway, so um, I just thought it was a great yeah. characterization of this uh, dynamic that often forms in this relationship, in, in relationships. Um, and it's uh, easy to understand, and you can often see, oh, okay. I tend to do this or I tend to do that. Um, and the descriptions hail of- storm. It's hard yeah. for me to identify as a hailstorm. I'm not trying, I'm sure this is a great episode. And I'm sure, <laughs> sure. that's great. Well, you're allowed I'm, to, I'm you're allowed to it. like poke I'm it. I'm going to watch yeah. it on YouTube and I'm, I'm going to watch the whole thing. Sure. But um, I, yeah, I can definitely relate to being a turtle. And also that's more my relationship style. Exactly. So. It's typically male, female, sure. hailstorm, turtle. Makes sense. And I think, I hate to be the, I've been thinking about this lately. Mm-hmm. I believe, of course, disclaimer, feminist disclaimer alert, um, <laughs> uh, of course, most of or many of the differences between men and women are culturally taught mm-hmm. and are damaging because of the way that they limit people into specific roles that may not match their true essence. And that shit sucks. And as a society, we need to create more space for girls to do boyish things and boys to yes. do girlish things. But the masculine um, and feminine poles, I think, ring true as helpful even frameworks. Even if we had no a, a perfectly Swedish society and everybody <laughs> was fucking totally gender neutral as babies, I think that having female genitalia um, means that you need more from a partner in terms of uh, support and protection during pregnancy, at least. That at yeah. that time you're more vulnerable and that mm. it pushes a person in a more of a um, more feminine set of uh, traits. I also think that the mechanics of sex and genitals yeah. have There's to do with Receiving this, and giving. Yes. And uh, wanting to be penetrated versus wanting yes. to penetrate. Yes. Yeah. All of this aligns with our notions of masculinity and femininity. Yeah. And... 
as, as much and, as... And operates in homosexual relationships as yes, well. Yes, yes. Depending on what role you're occupying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just something that I've been thinking about lately. Yeah. I don't have a, a end Fuck point it. That's that. your header. Just say it. Just say it. There. There you go. Something I've been thinking about lately. Okay. What, is that the header? No, I mean, like, you, you can, you don't have to be like, well, oh. I heard it on a podcast. You, know, you don't have to introduce it. Just say it. Just whatever it is. Just say it. I think I just finished. Oh, oh, you were saying this. Just the, what you had already said was what you had been thinking I about. Think so. Oh, I thought no. you were going to say something I've been thinking about is no, blah, blah, blah. No, no. So I've just been thinking about how mechanically and biologically <laughs> oh, this shit aligns with masculinity and femininity. Sorry. And that it makes sense then that there are more men that are more masculine and more women that are more feminine. And if we had a perfectly balanced society, it would probably still be that way. Yes. And I think it does exist on a spectrum too. Yeah, of course. And the fact that. Uh, you know, people who fall somewhere on the middle in the in the middle section of that, um, you know, their sort of soul and physical alignment can be off or can be, yeah. you know, switched. The you know, whatever that I I don't know. I think of it on like a soul level um, mm. sometimes. Yeah, I don't believe in any of that. But yeah, I'm glad I know. That, I'm glad that it's useful <laughs> to you. Uh, there are yeah. means of yeah, understanding sure. things that I don't have to subscribe to for them to be true for other people are true in general. Totally. Um, and it doesn't threaten my belief or idea that that system is useful, that you don't. Good. Yeah. Good. That's you're self-assured enough that I can disagree and you not need Absolutely. to change my mind. Absolutely. Um, uh, back to the receiving thing for yes. just a second. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll get on to the lightning round and all that. But this is, I think yeah, yeah. A, this is interesting to everyone listening. We're all on board. Um, we all are <laughs> we, we love some this. gender. We love this. Um, some people I think are not gendered. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, probably none of our current listeners of this podcast, based statistically, there's only like four of you guys. Let's just go <laughs> ahead and release the numbers. Four people listen. It's my mom three times and then some stranger. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, hey, T. Hey, mom. Uh, and back to genitals. Um, <laughs> Don't you love this? I do. Um, I really do. I know. So you were saying about the receiving being more like vulva and vagina. Yeah. I've learned from doing this one man show and no spoilers explicitly, but if you've seen it, you might know what I'm referencing. Um, Women love the idea of men being penetrated to know some of what that feels like. And you personally. I'm, I feel like I'm the best example of that. Go ahead. Because I don't actually know a lot of other women that are like, well, I have to be able to penetrate my partner in the butt <laughs> to really know know them. I think <laughs> women really enjoy the idea of like, oh, those men who are always slinging their dicks around, no idea of how it hurts and what effort it takes to take one. Mm-hmm. I wish that they would just get one up their own butt sometime <laughs> i think that that's probably operating unconsciously in yes. more people than oh, sure. they know but <laughs> like sure. i'm very like You're aware a... of this belief of mine <laughs> well you've plumbed your own depths i mean you have a self-examined life the the subconscious of morgan is so small compared to other people's who have never even shined a light on those dark places and you take that light and you shine it everywhere and you say what f- uh, me afraid to know something about myself no sir e bob e joe <laughs> <laughs> well thank you you're welcome uh, 
<laughs> yeah. So women really want men to have to take a dick and <laughs> men yeah. really want re- women to just to have a dick that they have to give somewhere and just can't you see what it's like to have to keep this thing up and keep it directed and have to yeah. use it exactly and the whole time it's wanting to come don't you understand what it's like for us we all just want each other to feel our pain and yes. this like frustration yes. that you don't know my pain yes you don't know how hard it is for me is there anything else you want to say about that <laughs> yeah you don't know how hard it is for me that's true. That's all I want to say. That's true. <laughs> is there anything you want to say in response? You don't know how hard it is for me. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. I feel like that was a wow. perfect uh, Now that we've really held that each segment. other. Yeah, now we're both perfectly held. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, what you got? Okay. So we ready to enter the lightning round. Rob so. is unzipping his hoodie. Let's do it. To reveal two perfect nipples. Oh. <laughs> pew, pew. Come on, babies. <laughs> Who's thirsty? So I was going to start with a different question, but okay. given the topics that we engaged in at the top of the show. Hell yeah. I'm going to go for this one. This question comes to us from Huntman or Huntman 45566. I think I hate women. Mm. They are so shallow, rude, and judgmental. I really hate them so bad. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your feelings. It was not my first uh, instinct to respond that way, but I'm going to try to uh, help you through this. uh, Actually, I want to offer this to Morgan first. Do you feel like you want to respond to this person? I don't want to just take it automatically. Oh, no, no. I can can respond. Um, So, yeah, I mean, similar to Rob, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think that... In sharing it, you understand that you're you're looking for you're implicitly looking for guidance on how do I alter this belief that I have right now that you're finding them shallow, rude, and judgmental, and you're experiencing anger towards them or hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at, at its core, without the the context or the personalization of it, um, it's like I'm sorry that you're feeling that way, and I I. I think that probably you are asking for help to shift your belief system because I'm sure it's causing you grief to walk around hating 50% of the people yep. that you bump into. Um, so yeah, I, 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 similarly to you, I mean, I my first in- instinct kind of is, or well, maybe, maybe it's the opposite. My first in- instinct is to feel like, oh, compassion because it's not like he doesn't, he doesn't hate me personally, just right. because I'm a woman. He's not saying you are bad. You never met this guy. I've never met Huntman. Um, and I think that everyone has the capacity to be shallow, rude, and judgmental. And so it makes me wonder what painful experiences, I'm sorry, have you had with women, uh, especially recently, that have left you with that opinion? You know, I want to know, especially a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, it's related. Thank you. Uh, I like that response. And that's similar to what I was going to aim at the pain. Great. Um, Shallow, rude, and judgmental. judgmental. So it sounds like you had an experience recently with a woman or a series of women um, that left you feeling hurt. And I believe this is a new idea for me, so I haven't totally fleshed this out yet, but from John Wellwood's 
perfect love and perfect relationship, I'm toying with this idea that hatred is a useful emotion mm -hmm. in showing us where we feel weak and what Ooh. we feel powerless from. And so to befriend your own hatred and know it is to gain access to a signpost to those things that um, hurt you and make you feel like you don't have any control. Yeah. And I think that you've had experiences with women probably recently and probably a long time ago too that have made you feel small and power, powerless and out of control. Yeah. And maybe you need to express that anger now. Mm -hmm. I would hope that you do not express it to people who are undeserving of that expression. For instance, the next woman that you meet or have an intimate relationship with is not the person who is causing you this pain originally. Um, or strangers, women that you don't know. I think this is the reason that a lot of anonymous acts of violence or harassment or abuse towards women, it's a, it's a misdirected mm -hmm. hatred. It's an immature realization of pain. I think if you focus on these frustrated, these, these hot, angry, unbalanced feelings for long enough and you allow yourself to feel them, it, eventually you will see that behind this grievance, there is grief. And if you can know that pain and allow yourself to be hurt and sad and disconnected, lonely, unloved, small, all the things that you're probably feeling that cause the the fist tightening reaction. And if you process those underlying feelings too and express those things to someone who sees you for those things and accepts that you feel that way and validates the, that as like not something that you should stop or suppress, then I think that you can release this grievance and this hatred. But it may take some time. And yes, I just want to urge you to please not Take out your anger, make it somebody else's issue that you are feeling this way. These are your feelings. I respect them. They're valid and okay to have, but the way that you deal with them could be very dangerous to somebody else. Yeah. Um, I would add to that, uh, that I would challenge you, Huntman, to um, expand the framework that you're currently operating in, which is you know, the, all women are bad is sort of the mm -hmm. assumption. And then I wonder, you know, are all men good? I wonder what, what ways can you see women as both having good and bad components Yes, and having men, seeing men as having good and bad components as well. Um, yeah. You know, I think doing the emotional work or the self-examination that Rob is talking about is really important. Um, and I think, on top of that is to recognize the gray area between good and bad and, you know, the ways that people have all different types of characteristics. And like, I think I said before, like men can be shallow, rude and judgmental. Um, I think just as much as women and it's okay that you're feeling those things in response to something that yeah. a, a woman or multiple women have, have done. Um, but, uh, it, it is, as I'm sure you recognize, unfair to generalize that to all women. 
but you have to also have compassion for the fact that you're in this state right now where that's the only category you can identify as Mm -hmm. the thing that's causing you that pain. And so I would also look into, okay, what are the experiences that you had and what else ties those together other than just the fact that they were all women? Yeah. What were the situations? What was the context? What were you bringing into those situations? Yeah. And especially focus on your experience of them and what it felt like to be in, in those moments Yeah. that are causing you to arrive at this feeling or attitude. Yeah. If I may speak more broadly about gender <laughs> yeah. relations in this moment. You may. I'm, I'm interested in, <laughs> in your take on this. Yeah. But to set things up, Donald Trump is the president. He mm. was elected despite what seemed like to many people a campaign ending scandal um, because he was caught on tape bragging about grabbing women by the pussy. Mm. And uh, he did not lose tremendous amounts of support after that happened. Um, and for a lot of people, his victory felt like a emboldening marker for people who don't give a fuck about women's bodies. Like, oh, okay, we live in a society now where a person who brags about sexual assault can get the most power and the most support of the majority of the people is what it felt like. And I know he didn't Mm -hmm. get the majority of the popular vote. I'm just trying to explain that perspective to anybody who might not see uh, Trump's presidency as like an important um, marker for this conversation. Um, So um, a lot, I, I think there's been a division of teams like team boys versus team girls back to gym class, uh, in a lot of ways. And the me too movement has been overwhelmingly positive, um, in its changes for, um, bringing people's awareness to the prevalence of sexual assault, um, perpetrated almost entirely by men, but on men and women, more on women, um, but for instance, the Kevin Spacey case and others show that there are, are, are male victims of this as well. And it's a problem that affects everybody. Um, right. Uh, Terry Crews. Um, sorry, I'm getting lost in this for a second. <sighs> That's okay. Uh, I think one unfortunate negative externality of the Me Too movement is um, this. Men who believe that they've never committed sexual assault or like um, grossly overstepped a boundary are reacting defensively Mm. and attacking people who are saying things like believe all women or women don't lie about sexual assault. And then there's this fear reaction, which maybe, maybe we always will just overswing the pendulum. And um, there are men now who are afraid women have too much power. A woman can just accuse a man of something And it seems like due process is no longer important. The court of public opinion just strips the man of his job, strips the man of his reputation. And often that's more important than um, a person's physical freedom or like jail time now is like what the internet Mm -hmm. thinks of you or whether you can be on a platform. Yes. Um, And so there are men who are feeling very afraid of this and pointing the finger back at women and women who are saying, (laughs) but it it can escalate this type of conflict and it um, scares me to see in, in the ways that I witnessed myself participating in this and arguing for one side or another. And um, it's a... Giant mess? Yeah, it's a big mess. Um, I hope that 
like my opinion on that believe all women thing is of course there are women that lie like about anything because women are people and people are capable of doing bad things and to assume that all women are good is is like mm-hmm. all, all, very few of them are lying i believe on these sexual um assault uh, charges but also the, i i need to hold space for the sympathy for a person who is wrongfully accused of something 100%, like this 100% yeah so um, I mean, yeah, I have. It's not black and white. That's I have I'm friends asking that have, for nuance. Yeah, that's yeah. really all I'm asking anyone for. I have friends that are in both buckets, yeah. and they're both terrible situations, mm-hmm. uh, being sexually assaulted and and being heard or unheard about it, um, or being wrongfully accused and having to go through that entire process, which is exhausting and expensive in terms of time, energy, money. Um, and many people's uh, temptation yeah. is immediately to compare those two types of pain and say, well, like, mm. oh, if you think wrongfully, being wrongfully accused is anywhere near what I went I, through yeah. being assaulted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that loses track of the yeah. importance of fairness or of, of just people's pain is is their pain. And if you try and get into the pain Olympics, it, it, people feel invalidated and it just it perpetuates the violence yeah. of the argument. Yeah. I mean, I think that what... <sighs> I get frustrated when I hear criticisms of like feminism Mm -hmm. overall, or just sort of the, that kind of like eye roll, like feminist kind of thing, because the premise of feminism is equality. And the reason that it's equal, right. And the reason that it's called feminism is because in the cultural moment that we're in right now, women are the oppressed population. And, you know, the idea of feminism isn't, I point a finger at you. You point a finger at me. It's like we should figure out how to hold hands. Yeah. And if mm. you're doing on either side like pointing that. a finger, you you're not your furthering the agenda. Your hands aren't open uh, for holding. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, Rob and I all dance at the middle <laughs> of the table. It's so nice. Ooh, I got a little finger stroke on my palm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Oh, I love you. I love you too. All right. So. Good luck, hunt, Huntsman, Huntman, yeah. Huntman. Um, yeah, I anticipate this being difficult. Yeah. It already is difficult, but I, I hope, I believe that you can find a way to love through this. Beautiful, beautifully said. Okay, pachoo, pachoo, pachoo. Next question. Uh, this one comes to us from Croutons two four one four. How to stop being so nice? You like Croutons? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, whenever someone how to stop does- being so. Nice. Did I not finish that sentence? I just, you laughed over it. Oh, (laughs) how to stop being so nice. Whenever someone does something that's their fault, I always say sorry or my bad, even though it wasn't my fault at all. How do I get out of this habit? Mm. Morgan, any ideas? I do this a lot. Um, Leave Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Step one, move out of Canada. Where everyone's just a little too polite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, seriously, though, you, uh, the people do pick up the verbal tics of the people around them. Mm-hmm. And so examine your five closest friends and you may be a, a summation of their speech patterns in conversation. And I think this is a good segue from the last question, too, because there is a slightly gendered element of this mm-hmm. where most frequently it's women who feel the need to apologize for just sort of being there, <laughs> being standing there and someone walks into you and you go, oh, I'm sorry. But, yeah. you know, it's the person who's walking theoretically's job to avoid them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that 
in these scenarios, we've learned to diffuse the tension by saying like, sorry, or my bad, and just kind of assuming automatically responsibility, not in a real way, but just in a like, oh, I like am identifying that I have a role in this or I was an actor in this in some way. Admitting culpability. Right, right. Or the possibility of culpability. And especially when you're dealing with someone who doesn't want to acknowledge any potential faults, it's an easy way to kind of say like, you're, you're good. You're still good. Like it's me, it's me. I'm the one who's like fucking up here. Mm -hmm. I find myself guilty of this all the time. Um, and so sorry, (laughs) I'm only sorry to myself (laughs) Okay, because yeah, I'm sorry to myself because really it's a, an over willingness to assume that blame is kind of an attack on myself or a statement of like my protecting my feelings or my sense of what happened there is not as important as appeasing this Mm -hmm. other person who maybe holds more responsibility for what happened. Um, So you're feeling sorry to yourself. No, no, I'm not saying that like everyone who says this, that's what Mm -hmm. it is. That's what it's I'm underlying. Just, I'm not I'm, saying that. I'm just you. You you just said that you were. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when do I do this. Do you know of any techniques perhaps for apologizing to oneself and letting things Rob, go? Rob, why don't you take the wheel? I don't know. It no. feels like you, I don't I'm, like being quizzed in this way where it's like we both know the answer. And you're going to say something. Something like maybe originating in Hawaii. <laughs> Um, it's, it it's maybe a four step practice. Can you think of anything like that? <laughs> I'd really prefer if you just said it. Why? You um, learned so well. My parents used to kind of like quiz me mm-hmm. about things and it was very like annoying mm-hmm. and sort of insulting or, uh, it felt patronizing to be mm-hmm. like put on the spot in this way when we both know what we're talking about. And it's like, if you want to bring it up, just say it. Um, versus being like, when I was a child, I wasn't let within three feet of a microphone. (laughs) So if you would just think about what I have overcome to get to this moment today, you wouldn't say a fucking word. Do you hate all women too? (laughs) Big time. Hate them all. (laughs) Okay. So why don't you tell us about Ho'oponopono? Oh, look at you. You did know. Fuck you. I'm, yeah, I'm like, yeah, bo- I'm like kind of boiling. Do. I'm like boiling You're over doing here. so good. I hate all men. Hooray. <laughs> They're so condescending. <laughs> she got it, guys. Let's give Morgan a big hand. <laughs> Make sure it's pointing. <laughs> Don't hold it. Oh, okay. Ho'oponopono is a four step process of forgiveness that I learned about from Aubrey Marcus and his masterpiece on the day <laughs> on your life. But originally it comes from Hawaii and it goes a little bit like this. <laughs> I love me. I'm sorry. I forgive me. I thank me. Okay. So what does that achieve saying that to yourself? First, you establish that all of this communication is coming from a place of love. That's the bed that you set down. And then you acknowledge that you are sorry. And you're sorry for specifically what? In this situation, it's automatically apologizing for shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's always being sorry. I'm sorry for being sorry. Or saying that I'm sorry when I'm not. Or I'm sorry to defaulting to saying this instead of whatever, saying nothing Mm -hmm. or just being in the truth of what happened. I think yeah. uh, I'm sorry for using language that mm-hmm. belittles my experience yes. and uh, 
assumes that I am wrong and yeah. communicates to other people and myself that message that yes. there's something wrong about me automatically whenever there's a conflict. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry for that and sit with that and feel that. And then think of yourself stepping out of yourself and hearing that and say, I forgive you, giving yourself a big hug and then thank yourself for forgiving yourself. And it might not take right away, but if you do this repeatedly and slowly and focus on it, you can really let go of some shit like this. Yeah. It can be a very helpful practice. I've experienced yeah. that personally. I, Morgan, have you ever had success with this? It Rob sounds has, silly. Rob <laughs> has forced me to do it several times. And I every time I have this wall of resistance initially, um, and then when I stick with it long enough to be able to penetrate that wall, it is a very rewarding um, and sort of mind shifting practice, but I acknowledge how hard it, it is to do dumb. it. It sounds fucking dumb. You probably just heard me say that, and you're like, "Oh, really?" That's Roll dumb. Your eyes. Like, That's I'm dumb. Gonna fucking I'm tell not gonna myself try that, that I love myself, and then forget. I'm gonna apologize and forgive myself, and then thank yeah. myself afterwards. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go back to California, you fucking hippie. We're already in California. <laughs> probably seventy five percent of yeah. our listeners are also. Yeah. Um, but I think what is great about this process as what I would say is kind of the first step to attacking this is that not only does it give you um, permission and healing around the immediate experience of like making that mistake, what you're terming a mistake of just being like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, shit. I'm going to. OK, I forgive myself. I'm sorry. Whatever the steps are. I love myself. Yada, yada. Um, but doing this process repeatedly and earnestly and in a heartfelt way gives you the opportunity to strengthen the bond with yourself that will ultimately lift up that floor of kind of self-worth and trusting yourself and validating your own experience mm -hmm. that will heal has potential to heal the underlying reason that you have that knee jerk reaction. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And then I think that the second step is to just compassionately develop mindfulness around every time that you say it. Um, so when you find yourself now, even like after hearing this advice, you're not going to tomorrow stop saying, oh, I'm sorry, or my bad. So when it does still come up, now that you know it's something you want to interrupt, have compassion for the fact that this is an automatic pattern that you're trying to interrupt that's been in place for a long time. And just redirect and say something you know what instead of instead of going oh sorry my bad oh sorry sorry and getting caught in that loop of the just like apologizing yeah, over I'm and over apologizing because i apologized when i wasn't supposed yeah. to and i'll apologize for that and i'll apologize for that <laughs> take a breath and take a beat to think about what would i have liked to have said there and then state that mm -hmm. instead um and every time you I go through that process of, of of consciously switching gears you increase the likelihood that you'll do that in the future by mm -hmm. carving a new sort of, uh, you know, neural pathway. pathway. Sick. P Sick. Jinx. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was sitting around with some friends chatting. One of them was talking about how he feels he has to apologize for himself all the mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. at work. Anytime he suggests something, tells a story, seems unappreciated and he feels like he has to apologize and the apologizing makes him apologize even more and he feels stuck in it yeah and um we were sitting there listening to it and uh empathizing with him for a while and then i asked 
what would it feel like instead of reflexively saying, I'm sorry to all of us for like telling this long story and mm-hmm. for even all of this, what is it going to feel like if you say you're welcome? And everyone started <laughs> laughing. He started laughing really hard and everyone else did. And I think in that I laugh, that. I learned like, oh, there's some truth there that I stumbled upon of um, like, you're welcome. I'm sorry is a, an acknowledgement that I did something that was bad. And you're welcome is an acknowledgement that I did something that was good. Yeah. So yeah. look for those moments when something unexpected happens and you feel like relieving that tension with some communication to the other person. What moments can you say you're welcome instead of I'm sorry? Yes. Instead of apologizing for mm-hmm. your existence, appreciating your existence. Say that you uh, bump into someone else's grocery cart and yours is full <laughs> of apples and one of your apples falls into their cart. That's something you might automatically <laughs> say I'm sorry for. But what if you said you're welcome? <laughs> yeah. It might cause a person to laugh. And it's an acknowledgement that still diffuses the tension in the situation. Yes. Um, you get it, you're showing that you care about their experience. You're like communicating the same things that you're communicating yeah. by saying I'm sorry. But you don't yeah. have to belittle yourself and reinforce that message that I am bad or I did something yeah. bad. Yeah. And I love the idea of paying attention to the tension. That's Mm -hmm. something else that you can do is noticing what that tension feels like before you are compelled to say that phrase. And what are the patterns in when you feel the most tension? What Mm -hmm. kind of circumstances? Where do you most feel you're in the way or your behavior is unacceptable? And thinking about, oh, okay, I wonder what the origins of that are. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We call that tension attention. And one um, attention. One visualization exercise you can do is imagine your chin sprouting into nine other chins going around your head. <laughs> and then imagine focusing with all ten of those chins. This is called a, a ten chin tension attention. <laughs> and that's easily so one, of, one of the biggest steps on your path to enlightenment. <laughs> Is visualizing a face of yours having flower petals of chins, all 10 of them that you have the one that you have currently, and then nine additional ones that sprout in a radial symmetry around your face. The nose is the center. Yes. Uh, Nose is the center point. Mm -hmm. And then you can finally give tension, tension, attention. (laughs) And that, that's uh, the Buddha did this for three days in the woods before he emerged as the Buddha. Um, And if you do that, you're well on your way to enlightenment and and freeing yourself of the shackles of this modern world, consumerism <laughs> and all that bullshit and apologizing constantly. It just takes nine just, more chins. That's just, it. You have to imagine all 10 of your chins paying attention to the tension. Wow. I fucking love that. Thanks. Um, do you want to do one more lightning round question or do you want to skip to the, the I'm big I'm having fun. Kahuna. I don't want to end this episode. Aww. I'm enjoying the afternoon Aww. with you. Me too, honey. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. But either way, we're still going to continue because we have to do the main question. Ooh, ooh, okay. So do you want to do the main question or do we, we want to do... I can't figure out what the fuck time this is because <laughs> it says we've been talking for two hours and I know that's not no, true. No, it's 55 minutes. Um, okay, so let's go to the main the question. The one is always there. Oh, the one is the always one. there? It starts on one. Got it. Okay. It's weird like that. All right, so you ready for the main question? Yeah, let's do it. Okie dokie. This one comes to us from Isaac PK24. Okay. My friends are constantly glued to their phone and they have to take pictures of every fun thing Mm. we do. I'm sick of it. We went camping the other night and I was looking forward to looking at the stars and just having a conversation, Mm -hmm. but they'd rather just watch YouTube in the tent. 
Is there anything I can do? I've talked to them a few times about it, but it still happens. They're really good friends, but I feel lonely most of the time. Mm. Mm. All right. What do you have to say? Okay. There's two issues here. There's the, do I need new friends or how do I change my friends issue? And then there's the underlying, the the cause of this particular problem, which is the uh, um, attention deficit that our phones are creating or the attention neediness. This is a huge problem. And I I think Morgan doesn't think it's as big of a problem as I do. Rob is particularly. I think it is ending the world. Flummoxed by this problem. (laughs) It is perhaps the biggest impediment to love that I witness on a daily basis. What a statement. Thank you. Please go on. Um, these phones are designed to, the apps in the phones, not the phones themselves. Podcasts so much. are destroying the fabric of society. Turn us off. <laughs> no. Long form <laughs> content is the antidote to short form content. Ah. The quick fix that you get from scrolling through a feed and clicking next, 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 next. Give me that next hit. Let me see that next GIF. Let me see that next GIF. Let me see that next. <laughs> Let me do it right. I shouldn't have corrected that. Let me like read the next comment. Let me post yeah. one more thing. All of that, like do, do, do give me another hit of my um, stimulating drug right yeah. now. Yeah. It's a drug. The, I believe a, a good alternative, a good um, methadone for that is this type of content, what you're listening to right now. If you didn't fast forward through any of this podcast and you were able to just like receive it calmly. You are a tension superstar. craving, you know, <laughs> if you didn't like speed it up to two times speed so you could get even more of it. And maybe you prefer it that way. That's fine. If you just listen faster than we talk. That's cool. I'm not trying to diss you, Connor, for doing that. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, where was I? Fuck. <laughs> Do you have me? Well, you were saying if you're absorbing content oh, yeah, yeah. at the speed it's intended yes. without constantly scrolling, yeah. like, you, good on if, you, if I if guess. If you're, like, enjoying podcasts like this, you are doing something to heal the part of your brain that compulsively clicks the next slide, next the scroll, the, yeah. the, like, endless scroll of people's tweets, people's Instagram Are you photos. healing it or are you just not indulging it in the moment? And not indulging it is healing okay. it. I think if you went a year without it, your brain would mostly reset. Depends on the mm. amount of damage that's done. Okay. But I think it'd be impossible at this point this, to go a year without it uh, mm, in, in normal life. I mean, it, it would be a, a high cost to yeah. a, a year without it. Like, yeah. um, you could still use these things every day and just like sit with one at a time, somehow set up your phone so that you like are stuck with one photo on Instagram for two minutes and you have to just look at that and you, and you, <laughs> you don't touch the phone. Over. Yeah. It's, it's about Long so, form gram. Okay. The, the point I was trying to make is these systems, these uh, apps and companies are in an attention arm race. Um, there's an attention economy where your, yeah. your um, thoughts and your, what you're looking at and what you're paying attention to is sold to advertisers. Yeah. And that is all of social media that you don't pay for. That is how you are paying. You're um you are renting out the real estate of your mind to Ooh. these people who want to set up shops and build a And there's certain, no rent control. There's no rent control. I, I don't totally understand that metaphor. Would you like to explain it? Um it all of that stuff is at their mercy and the price can continue yes. to go up because there's just not that yes. much regulation. And it's, it's costing you more and more as yes. you get more and more yes, into these that's things. What I'm 
and the prices rise, they, they shoot up faster as difficult or uncomfortable social experiences in your life start to become more um, dominant, you will inline at Chipotle, check the dating app, check the Facebook, check the Instagram. It becomes the transitional device of the adult world. That's what I've heard. So Morgan, for people who don't know. Sorry, yes, the transitional (laughs) object. Can you please explain that? I would fucking love to. Thank you. Um, Okay, so a transitional object is essentially a source of comfort or soothing um, that stands in for uh, a caregiver's love, attention, affection, nurturing, physical comfort as you transition into independence, mm-hmm. um, as you go out on your own. Uh, it it allows you to hold this thing. Like, so I have a monkey on my bed right now. His name is Monkey Beard. Um, he's my transitional object. Clearly, I haven't transitioned yet since I'm 29 and he's still sitting on my bed. And the idea is that I can hold him and feel uh, a stand-in for my mother's love that allows me to go out into the world without mom, but I still have this thing that gives me that same comfort. And then mm-hmm. eventually you wean yourself off of the transitional object. What is the use of weaning yourself off of the transitional object? If the use of the transitional object becomes maladaptive itself. Is monkey beard maladaptive for you? I don't believe so. I don't either. <laughs> I don't see a problem. You've, you've never yeah. interrupted our podcast recording <laughs> session. Be like, hold on. The thing that you said just hurt. And I'm going to go over and be with monkey for a couple minutes. I would actually love. I mean, I would love to have in my lap right now. It's just a comforting little presence. It's it's but, never gotten in between you right. getting something done or relating to me in the moment. You know, if Freud said mental health yeah. is a person's ability to love and work. I've never seen Ooh. monkey get in uh, yeah. the way of your monkey love is work. all about love and work. He's perfect. <laughs> Monkey's a dope transitional. So okay. So for most people, it's their phone. And anytime that something is uncomfortable, how often have you looked around a party of people who don't know each other and everyone's looking at their phone? You all ostensibly came the to stimulus meet people, teat. but it's much more comfortable to right now look at your phone that can't reject you and is so familiar and provides, ooh, just that right amount of novelty without any any judgment or way of, you know, threatening you. So what is threatening about being at a party and not yeah. being on your phone? Let's talk about that. Or yeah. being in any situation like people might camping laugh at like you. this person. People is you doing. you can't turn it off in real life. You can't like just click the lock screen or scroll away from a person who's in front of you who maybe disagrees with you or um even I mean there are ways of doing it theoretically. Yes, but I mean not, you can leave the room yeah. and but um, often a person doesn't feel empowered because of right. the other social and situations of like, oh, this is this person's friend and yeah. I need to care about my relationship with that person. So I can't be outright rude to their friend. Mm-hmm. All of these things that these political um, strings that, that a person is aware of is complicated to be in a yeah. social situation when you know some yeah. of the people or kind of want something from some people and other people want something from you. Yeah. Managing all that is like, whew, it so, can be tough. Yeah, it's even so, worse if you mm-hmm. um, don't feel great about yourself and you feel like you're a burden to other people or you don't have much to offer them. Then it's really hard to navigate those things, and yeah. it's a fucking victory every moment that you connect <laughs> with somebody and share a laugh or share something sincere, and they put a hand on your shoulder and make eye contact with you. Yeah, and you receive it. Yes. Um, and so I want to kind of just like touch back to the question as we're saying this because uh, I think step one of your problem, Isaac, or step one of the solution to your problem rather is 
to have compassion for mm. how hard it is. I love that you said that. I did not think of that. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to fucking rail against the phone users <laughs> and hate myself whenever I'm using yeah. my phone. So, yeah. So, I then again, this. that's the, like, blank. That's the black and white thinking. That's the I hate yeah. all women. That's the, yeah. you know, yeah, whatever. I totally I'm hate sorry women. for my own no, existence. You, you totally just proved to me that I hate women. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, like, all of these things yeah. are these black and white poles. Mm-hmm. And... I don't hate black people, though, just to be clear. <laughs> black people are chill as fuck. White people, too. If you're listening and you're black, Rob wants to be your friend. Unless you're a woman. Unless you're a just woman. Just kidding. Love black women. Um, yeah. That's, Sorry, that's true from what I observed. Um, no, no. It's cool. Um, but if you're going to bridge this gap, mm-hmm. like any, uh, you know, I'm trying to, what's, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like gap in thinking where people are pushing each other generally further and further away from each other on the spectrum and towards the opposite ends of the poles. Yeah. The, the missing area can't be filled in with hatred, criticism, judgment, mm-hmm. all that stuff. You're, it has to be compassion. You're it has throwing to be empathy. grenades at them just makes them move yes. farther away the from you. The pointing versus the handholding. Dude, I love this. Yes. What and, a beautiful thematic resonance yeah, for this episode. Go on, go on. I don't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, you're so welcome. I love it because it's like, cool, I guess I kind of like. You're doing it. I can take. I did this it. I did jazz. it. I set it up. We're returning um, to the head of the song. This is so jazz. Yes. Let's go. Let's go. Um, and so even though. I think it's it's fair to congratulate yourself for resisting that temptation um, because, yeah, there's the, you know, but without being too self-congratulatory, but like, Isaac, you want to get the most out of your experience of camping. You want to be in the present moment and look at the stars and have conversations and you're finding it easier not to be sucked into something that's safe, stimulating, easy to relate over. You are wanting this deeper and slightly more difficult um, type of interaction. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to approach your friends about it, it's really important that you put yourself in their shoes in the, recognize that they're facing whether they know it or not. And it's probably all of the issues. Yes. Phone behavior is mostly automatic. So it's really important that you understand that they're in this position of, without realizing it. So you can't point it out directly. You just have to use that to inform the emotional cadence of what you're going to, how you're going to approach this conversation Mm -hmm. to understand that they're afraid to understand that they are uncomfortable, um, that they are clinging to this transitional object as a security blanket, as their, as their monkey beard. And Mm -hmm. if you storm in there like the parent and you go, you're too old for this and you yank it away from them and you go, you should be like me and not need this. That's not going to get you on them on your team. Yes. They're just going to be mad and demand their phone and check their Apple watch instead. What you would do potentially is go in and start from the premise of relating to them through this transitional object. So start texting them. (laughs) <laughs> hey, check out this star and then send a picture, send a little live photo of a star not a shooting star. Idea. That's not a terrible idea. And then, um, yeah, I love yeah. Uh, changing people's minds through satire like this. They'd realize like how ridiculous it is that yeah. this person just sent me a live photo of a shooting star when it happened just over my head yeah. and I choose to look at it through the screen instead. Yeah. Oh, 
and whenever you go to a concert and everyone's watching the concert through the little screen on their phone, it's like, you're at the concert right now. This is not going to be a good video. Why are you taking this? There's a professional videographer. You can look this up on watch the music video on YouTube. What the fuck are you doing? Ruining everyone's experience by holding out the tiny screen and looking at this pixelated image instead of seeing the thing in front of you. Okay, so let me speak for the perspective don't of that, do that person. Don't do what I just said. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Because Rob, Rob, um, I will say as someone who's received the kind of like the eyebrow raise, I'll yeah. say, of like, really, you're going to be on your phone right now yeah, while we're trying to do this. Um, it doesn't feel good to receive that um, because it feel feels like? like it feels like a judgment. Yeah, um, it is on my character my worth my self-experience um and it's it's a a direct statement of like how you feel it's a statement of like what i'm doing is better than what you're doing yes and and that i get that you feel that way (laughs) i get that it doesn't feel good to hear that um express that and obviously and sometimes i am choosing to be on my phone consciously and i'm choosing to say, no, you're not right about this. And I'm going to do this anyway. And the fact that you are coming at me in such a sort of aggressive and not compassionate way makes me even more want to be on my phone. <laughs> um, sure. But anyway, so speaking as the person who has specifically, because you mentioned, Isaac, that they have this inclination to document, to do a lot of documenting of what's going on. Um, I want to offer up my experience of being on that side of it, which is, Often I am in uh, an environment or having an experience where I recognize like, oh, I'm having a really particular emotion right now. And I want to take sort of a emotional Snapchat, snapshot, not a Snapchat, <laughs> a snapshot of what's going on. And I want to have this little fragment. I want to hold a small piece of what's going on right now later and store it and file it away so that. I can recall more easily revisit this emotional state Um, and having an image. I'm a very visual person. So having an image to touch back on brings me right back to that emotional state Um, because often I'm in. Can you give an example of this? I'm I'm having trouble imagining this emotional snapshot. Okay. So let's say that I'm loving recording this podcast with you right now and it makes me feel all these warm feelings Mm -hmm. and we feel connected and we're talking about all these important topics and it's creating an emotion for me that I'm like, wow, I really want to remember that I had that experience. Mm -hmm. So I might take my phone out right now and take a picture of what it looks like for you to look across the table at me. um, And that I now have this little two dimensional document that I can refer back to when I'm not feeling that way, when I'm feeling disconnected, when I'm Mm -hmm. feeling unheard or unimportant or not purposeful. And I can look back at it and go, remember when we had that really awesome conversation and it all tied up so nicely and I felt so great. Like, when I get depressed or lonely or feel kind of like worthless or purposeless, sometimes I can check back or I lose sight of the fact that I've ever felt the opposite of those ways. And so having that little bit of documentation that proves to me, oh, yeah, this isn't always the case. I'm kind of that's an irrational thinking. What You're saying looking at the photo that you've taken yes. in your phone. Yes. I don't always do that, but I want to. I'd like to explore the limitations of that strategy because I think it is good. I think that it is not the only way to take a snapshot of something. And I want people to know. Basically, what's our question asker's name? I want to support this uh, Isaac's perspective. I'm sort of talking to Isaac's friends now. Thank you. 
um, it, having the phones out and knowing that anything that we do in public or at a, a public place, even hanging out with your friends who you trust somewhat maybe live streamed onto Facebook live or Periscope or Instagram live or whatever other service, um, or just photos of it posted even, or just, uh, a quick video, but it could be live and there could yeah. be other people. Anyone in the world can be watching what you do right now. It's why everybody's so fucking awkward at parties too. It's because like, like self, if you make a layer full, of self-consciousness, yeah, because yeah. you know, if you throw up in the corner or whatever, some asshole is going to get their phone out and be like, look at this dumbass got too drunk. <laughs> and so people are afraid of each other because you have the tool of, I have a lens that I can, I can invite the whole world into your shittiest moment right now. Mm -hmm. And your phone is that it's a weapon and people mm. feel it that way. That's why everyone was punching people with Google glasses on. They didn't understand the technology. And they were like, this person has a camera that they're pointing at me and it's broadcasting it to the internet. You know, Google glass, this technology. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the smart glasses. Um, people fucking hated it when people wore those into bars and like, no, I Google get that glass for yeah. sure. Nobody, cause people want to feel safe. And yeah. it's like, if there's a, 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 what's it called? A, a one way mirror, mm -hmm. um, that the whole world can stand and watch you in this moment. No one wants to get vulnerable. If somebody has a device that is capable of doing that and it's out and they're using it constantly and you don't know, like. What are they doing with these pictures? Are they videoing me? Who are they sending this to? So it makes people uptight and unsafe. And um, if you're using your phone for anything, know that some people may be interpreting it as, is this person recording me somehow? Is this person mm -hmm. sharing what I'm doing right now with the whole world? And that M Morgan and I are ex uh, very uncommon in how much of ourselves we're willing to share with the world. And that's why we've Mm. partially pursued this artistic path is like to do that. But most people rightfully or have great reason to not want to share yeah. their sexual history, their drug experiences, their greatest pain, their relationships with their parents, whatever the fuck it is yeah. with other people. And so then they're never going to talk about anything vulnerable if, if it's a situation where people's phones are out. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say about this is I was a volunteer at the Zendo camp at Burning Man for people having challenging psychedelic experiences. And they were like, part of the first principle is creating a safe space for people who are having a tough time. Part of your job is to be a defender of this person. And some people are going to be doing something ridiculous and somebody, and you're going to be like there with them. And then somebody riding by is going to get their phone out and start recording. And your job is to go over to that person and say, Hey, do you mind not taking um, a, per, a video or recording this right now, this person didn't give you consent to do that. And you have to defend them in that way so that they can have a cathartic experience or an emotional experience or something that might look silly that they don't want other people to be seeing. Um, and that hearing them like share that advice to a room of 400 people, I felt so validated. Like this is a big <laughs> deal. And that, yeah. that is a righteous thing to do to stop bullies who get out their phones when somebody is making a fool of them. It's a different thing. If somebody is like police brutality or something, then you're right. documenting a crime. But when someone's just doing something that's embarrassing and then somebody's like, ah, I'm going to get some likes, I'm going to get some clout because mm -hmm. I'm going to post this online. Everyone's going to laugh at this person with me. Fuck you. Put your <laughs> phone away. Um, okay, so I want to say a few things in response <laughs> good, to that. Good. And this is a really, uh, you've provided me just the ideal segue. Good. Um, I think that this is an issue that people feel very um, sensitive to and have mm -hmm. immense personal connection with because 
of the sort of transitional object quality of it, where it's like, these are these objects that are on us all the time. They're extensions of our bodies, basically, at this point. We're all cyborgs. I hope everyone's on board with that theory because it's happening. Sure. Um, and so we feel very, like, protective of these devices and our behaviors around them. And so I imagine that they're just based on how much emotion came out of you in mm -hmm. that expression, there's something there for you to explore that I think informs your particular resistance to phones. And I know for me, um, when I'm feeling particularly attached to my phone, there's something emotional for me to explore that underlies why I'm defending it. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Uh, Would you like to explore those things or is that a deeper topic than you want to oh, frame into the... Um, well, here's an example. Okay. One of the things I was going to say when I was finishing the uh, justifying documenting th things in, in photos, I know that I'm... I know that I could take a mental snapshot of this, but I feel vulnerable relying on my brain as the mechanism to take a snapshot because I have a belief that my brain is a fault, faulty at capturing memory. So knowing that I have it on my phone. more faulty than others. Yes. So knowing that I have it on my phone is just sort of a, an anxious protection against that. Mm -hmm. So I know that that's my issue. And that that informs my defense of people who photograph things. Are you saying the issue is your brain or your belief about your brain? Both, potentially. More my belief about the brain. Um, <clears throat> but so he, Isaac kind of proves my point here, which again, I think is a great fodder for actually connection between you and your friends, um, which is your attachment to your friends not being on their phones is informed by the fact that you feel lonely with yeah. these friends because their attention is elsewhere. Yeah. And so I would argue that on an unconscious level, and this is why the conversation has to be dealt with in, in sort of a just so pretty tactful and deft way, is that they're on their phones too because they're lonely mm -hmm. to some extent. And so how do you make it a connection about we're both lonely and vulnerable versus you're doing this thing that I don't approve of? Mm -hmm. And that's where we bridge that gap. How do you do that? I love that way you framed that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I mean, there are. I mean, it kind of depends on the context. So if I'm if I'm do looking at this particular context, um, I think that since you're the one sort of observing Isaac, observing this as a problem, you may be the one to have to concede a bit in the solution yeah. because you have a layer of consciousness about it that they don't, mm -hmm. and so you're gonna probably need to be the one that kind of you know, sidles up to them, watching whatever they're watching on their phone, puts your arm around one of them, and is like, "Hey, what are we watching?" Make it an activity that you share. And then once you guys are sharing in this attention, how do you use humor or creativity to divert everyone's attention to something that's more interesting to you mm. and is away from the phone? Or to something that's something that you want to do, but you, uh, you create uh, a way that the phone can be involved in a way where it's less of a focal point. Yeah. So it's like, hey, come outside and see the stars with me. You, you'll want to take a video of it for yeah. sure. You know, it's it's almost like a parenting technique where, yeah. you know, your kid is fixated on something mm -hmm. and you don't want to just yank it away from them. You want to participate in it with them and then go, ooh, like what's happening over there? You know, <laughs> you like rock and roll. Well, here's yeah. some Christian rock and roll. <laughs> here's some switchfoot. Sounds just like what you're listening to, oh, except they talk about God's love instead and of melodies, a boyfriend. But there is some Jesus sprinkled in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's you like you won't be having sex anymore. <laughs> marketing is just like, what's the bubble yeah. you put around it what's the Speak package you language. put your message in speak their language meet them where they are meet them where they are don't require them to learn 
Arabic before letting them read your holy text. <laughs> Talking to you, Islam. It's the only the only true way to, to experience Islam is to learn Arabic in order to read the Quran. It's not supposed to be translated, apparently. Of right. So it, it sets up a barrier. Yeah, is what you're saying. It's, bullshit. it's a big it's barrier. Terrible marketing idea. <laughs> Not criticizing Muhammad, not, not going on the podcast, criticizing Muhammad's marketing right. scheme, but whoever but, was in charge of this choice. Got yes. It. And I think it unfamiliarity breeds fear. And yeah. I think that that's, you know, probably a part of why we see so much hatred against the Muslim community um, is because, because we don't understand it. It's the, the most Quran foreign. No, I'm just saying it's symptomatic. <laughs> okay. It's symptomatic of it's some, a culture we know very little about. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and it, Un, not knowing something breeds fear of yeah. difference. Yes. So anyway, do you have anything else that you want to tell our I friend Isaac d- about I, how I want to, um, yeah, pat myself on the back first for, I believe that I've done that with mm-hmm. you and with other people that I see, like that I'm trying to approach in a social situation. But if I'm seeing them on their phone, I ask them, What's going on in your phone? Like in a non, (laughs) what are you looking at your phone for? I'm asking like, hey, what's interesting on there? Is it something that you are okay with sharing with me? And then sometimes they're like, oh, no, it's boring. And then they tell me anyway. It's uh, my friend just texting that they're going to be late. We can talk about that relationship with that friend. Do they always do that? Is that unlike them? And then they get to talking about their friends. They're really talking about themselves and bam, I'm in. But if I just started by criticizing their phone being out and be like, what's so interesting on there? Then it's setting up an adverse, I'm, you know, they're like, oh, here's a person coming over to criticize me. Yes. And I think that since you've already had this conversation with these friends, they may have an inherent sort of skepticism mm-hmm. or guard up and they may see through your attempt. And that's why it's really important to really connect with the underlying reason. You need to go deep undercover. <laughs> you need to buy an iPhone one that no longer works and act like you're tapping it and looking at things on the screen. And when people are like, that screen's blank, you're like, no, it's just one of those uh, screen protectors that you have to look at the right angle or else it looks like it's blank. And it's, it's, I'm very private about what's happening on my screen. And then you just, you keep using this and you, you act like you're scrolling through things. And then you're like, Hey guys, I'm even deeper into my phone than you guys. Look at how long I've spent looking at my, my screen time is more than the hours there are in the week. And then you fucking start to see the light. They, they start to follow you. And then you lead them out of the phone world into the real world by being like, oh, guys, there's this new app called The Sky. And it's fucking <laughs> sick. <laughs> Check out this new app. It's got so many downloads today. <laughs> you can see all the constellations when the signal's good. There actually is such a cool app for that that shows you where all the constellations are and the planets and the and moon. It's, it's, it's so ruined cool. so many nights of stargazing for me because I'm like looking at the screen again and wondering what's that one? What did someone a thousand years ago call that one? Instead of this is literally Walt Whitman wrote that poem when I heard the learned astronomer about this topic about like really? um, how labeling something versus appreciating the, it for what it is. The astronomers were arguing about the um, scientific laws that governed the mm. motion of the stars, and he left the lecture and decided to lay on his back and appreciate their aesthetic beauty and have like a a what's the subjective experience of it? Yeah, direct. And, yeah. A direct experience. And how much more valuable experience. that was to yeah. him than hearing somebody talk about the gravity patterns. I don't remember because, the specifics. Of yes, that. because labeling something, studying it, getting information about it can be an unconscious way of distancing yourself mm-hmm. from the yes. hands are dirty, I'm mm-hmm. experiencing it reality. Picking a word and labeling that word yeah. and be like, yes, okay. 
I'm done with that. I just did the like yeah. clean off and dust Wash off my, my hands. hands. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I wanted to pat myself on the back for that <laughs> technique and offer it to you. And I was yeah. kidding about the going deep undercover thing. It was a little overblown of a joke. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I was going to barge in in the middle of that and be like, <laughs> I would recommend doing the exact opposite, which is connecting gently just... <laughs> on the fact that you're both lonely and being aware of the fact that that's where your feelings yeah. of anti-phone are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you don't go into that conversation with an, a full awareness of where your anti is coming from, it can slip into the tone with which you approach your friends. And then your friends are going to be on guard yes. right away because you're inadvertently coming in with sort of an offensive, mm-hmm. you're coming in with a finger pointing tone. So it's like being aware of how you approach it and the energy, not just the words you're saying, but the energy of how you're approaching it being I'm with you guys. We're here to have this experience together versus why are you doing this thing? Stop doing that thing. Yes. Finger wagging. One last really big idea I want to cram in. Drop it on us. I read this essay, which I will find if I, if I can, and I will put it yeah. in the description of the yeah. episode um, that said that the dom- the, the highest virtue that our culture celebrated in the 1930s, uh, the, the, for each phase, it was um, represented by its dominant mode of media communication, that this um, informed the virtue. In the oh, 1930s, okay. um, communication was largely by letter still, and sincerity for a long mm. time was the, the highest virtue. In the 70s, the virtue became authenticity. Today, it is visibility. And the author made a connection between the invention of the television. Who's the author? I don't remember. I'll find it. Okay. This is a long time ago. I read this over 10 years ago, but the idea is really oh, okay, stuck okay. me. Um, not so this sounds famous. very like Marshall McLuhan, medium is the message kind of thing. Could be. I mean, it's probably not. I've, but I'm not familiar. Anyway. But um, the author said that uh, when the television was invented, it cured boredom and created a state of constant Ooh. boredom because you always had some form of passive entertainment. It meant you were never fully entertained because you had this thing that you could just put on and that would occupy your mind enough just to, to ease off the, the boredom that you never felt boredom mm. acutely enough that you really were engaged again. And he said that social media, the ability to always have some light version of social interaction was what was meant to cure loneliness and what it did was it created a constant state of loneliness that is inescapable if you're living with uh, this as part of your routine. And it resonated so much to me. I think I was like a senior in high school or freshman in college when I read yeah, this. And I was like, wow. fuck, that's what's happening. And I've just been going through like watching it get worse and worse. And my friends get more and more into them. Watching my parents get more into their phones. I think a lot of people my age are having this experience yeah. of like, oh, the shit that like, I don't really use Facebook anymore, but my parents are on this shit now <laughs> all the time. And they're like texting at dinner and all the shit that I was supposed to not do. Right Now, all of a sudden, like uh, after having an empty nest for some time, yes. parents are getting more addicted to the phones than their kids. And that's a weird experience. And I think that another thing that happens with this, and this always frustrated me, of like parents telling kids, you know, don't be present at the dinner table, don't get lost in your phone, but then being like workaholics effectively and, and using their phones mm. and justifying it by I'm being, well, I'm being productive. I'm doing yeah. work. I'm doing yeah. the thing that's putting food on this table. And, and it's like, that's an addiction too. It's, yeah. Like, <laughs> and it, it destroys it, the fabric of the connected family. Exactly. And it, it, that's a fucked up consideration that I hadn't even made is that a lot of people do justify their phone use because they live 
a life that where that they've accepted, they've agreed to a job. Nobody's enslaved, but it can feel like slavery at times. I'm sure that they've agreed to a job where they have to be available to answer yes. emails yes. around the clock or That's all but six hours a day. Awful. Do not that agree to do not agree to a system like that. And some people love their jobs for a while, and they're like, "Oh, I want to spend all my time doing what I love." And then they've agreed to that, and they can never pull it back. I mean. Wait until either if either of us experiences artistic success and then signs mm-hmm. a deal with a a label or has a manager or an agent that is um, demanding of us and controls our time. That happens to a lot of artists too. Yeah. So it's not like this path that either of us are are engaging with is like guaranteeing freedom from yeah. that. That's why a lot of people choose to stay stay independent. Chance the rapper Macklemore. Um, I, it's maybe your friends have jobs or parents or some other thing that um, has power over them that they can't really escape from their phones. So pl- try to have compassion for that too and yeah. help them free themselves um, in a lot. By lo- setting boundaries yeah. a little bit at a time. Yeah. Re-carving like, out that space, need, reclaiming that space mm-hmm. for yourself. I need one it's night really without hard. my phone. I need, and uh, yeah, the last thing I wanted to say on this to, for you, Isaac, is to hopefully to validate I, whenever I go camping, whenever I go outside, I leave my phone in the car or I leave it off in my backpack for emergencies only. It, you know, it's good to have if there was signal and someone gets bitten by a snake or something, but yeah. I, I don't like leave it at home, but I don't touch it. I don't um, get it out and look at the Constellation app. Um, I carry a journal and a watch and a, a bag full of shit that like a calculator, I don't actually have a calculator, but you know, all the apps in yeah. your phone outsource them in an analog way. Yes. Yes. Outsource them, like expand the phone into um, the old school technology, be the Battlestar Galactica spaceship that cannot be co-opted by Cylons because this technology is so old that your attention cannot be overrun. (laughs) You've seen Battlestar Galactica, you know what I'm talking about? No, but I love that. It's beautiful. It survives because it's the only one that's running on the old uh, hardware that these Cylons can't get into. So it's like the raggediest, most beat up ship and they can't like commandeer it. So there is that concept applies today like having this phone with all of these features means that you're there all of these hooks into a person's attention and they lose so much of themselves and they act so reactively to advertisers and designers who like know how to push their buttons really really well it's way more seductive than i can be and i and it sucks because i'm like fuck there's a team of people online with algorithms and all of these tools and a lot of drawing morgan's (laughs) attention to this whatever it is, dating app or uh, Facebook or Instagram, it's all the same thing. It's all Mm -hmm. like, here's the world. Here's the people that you might be most interested in right now. You want to hate somebody? Here's who you can hate. You want (laughs) to fuck somebody? Here's who you can fuck. You want somebody to make you laugh? Here's the person that's the funniest. And I can't be all that. I'm just, I'm just me here, you know, and I'm going to be boring. And knowing that I've got a phone to compete with is like, oh, fuck, I got to be on. I I can't compete with that. Mm. It's like the sex robots thing. I, I'll never fuck as good as a sex robot. It's t- t- terrifying. <laughs> They're gonna replace but, me. I mean, okay, so yes, you can go down this like technophobic rabbit hole, but I am someone who is ultimately optimistic and does feel like there is at least now uh, not a compelling enough sex robot to take the place of human connection. Yes. Um, and up until now, humans have only humans need human connection and attachment, just like we talked about earlier. Here, I'll yes. bring in the attachment theory back. We still we do. need just, each other to survive. We're finding good enough substitutes that I'm yes, worried that people will not remember the the reason that 
human attachment is important. Like we can simulate it so well that this is already happening. But uh, people J- that Japan has yes, a serious problem with it. But p- human beings that do not learn how to or, or aren't compelled enough to connect to the point where they can reproduce. Yeah. That's what's happening in Japan. Yeah. So I mean it's a and self-selecting it's it's that you know what I'm that saying? high tech, low touch world, thank you, Sonomark, um, is spreading. Sonomark, yeah. And yeah. I just I want to remind Isaac that there are others like you. I am like you. There are others like us. There's a pushback happening. There are um, internet addiction rehab facilities opening up. There are people who see the the danger in this, and it's being discussed on podcasts like the Joe Rogan Experience. If you would only plug our podcast with (laughs) one half of the fervor... (laughs) <laughs> that you talk about fucking Joe Rogan. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I, uh, fuck it. Uh, Joe yeah. Rogan's brought to you by the, the Cash App and Squarespace plus MeUndies. <laughs> oh, yeah, you wanted to do fake ads. I want to do all of Joe Rogan's ads for him. <laughs> Help Joe make a little extra cash. If you use, what about us, if Rob? If you use the code ROGAN today. Am I not enough for you? Are you... <laughs> It's this, the same fear you have about being overtaken by sex robots. I have about being overtaken by Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Dude, I serve a very different role in your life. I think. I think that the sex, the male sex robots will be modeled after Joe Rogan. And it'll Probably. be a three hour podcast. That the algorithms. Can run. Probably. Probably. I'm just fucking around. But anyway, yeah. no one's giving you free advice quite like ours. No, they're not. There are lots of people doing similar things, but yes. we have the exact unique formula that is us. And, your and formula, we have to take some solace in that. What do you know about your formula? Hmm? I, I I don't know. What that's do what, I know? It, that's what uh, makes you worthy of love. That's that's like your, your qualifications. I'm, I'm speaking to the poly philosophy I've shared with you before. Oh, yeah, right? please. Like, okay, so. I wasn't sure what that question was driving Morgan at. Morgan and I have both uh, engaged in open relationships where um, us or our partner has felt threatened by the presence mm. of other people. And um, it's easy to cling to oh that person's got uh is skinnier than me or that person's taller than me or that person's got more money whatever than me, the funnier. specific things that we are self-conscious yeah, whatever about. You're <laughs> about and whatever is most apparent about them and it may be something that your partner actually really likes about them too yeah and eventually if you do this long enough you will find people who are better than you in every single thing yep and you're like fuck but no one is you yeah so it, it's this like um I'm only lovable if I am the best at blank. I have the biggest dick or I have the most money or if I'm the funniest or if I have the highest IQ, whatever you think it is. Biggest boobs. And it again operates in a scarcity economy of love where love is this thing that like only some of us can have. The solution to this this problem is to hang your hat and believe that you are lovable because of your formula and not because of any single attribute but because you are the unknowable, n- not completely describable combination of all of the things that you are and all the strengths and the weaknesses. And the way that you make others feel because of your yes. energy, all these things. Yes. Um, and that is not something that you do. It's just who you are. And it's not replicable. And nobody can compete with your formula. Yeah. There's no one more you than you. Thelonious Monk said that the, the genius is the one who is most like himself. Go out there and be yourselves. 
Yes. Be as yourself as you can be. That was my intention this year at Burning Man. Be fiercely and fearlessly myself. And as a result, I have really, really up-leveled and embraced a lot of things about myself and led myself down the paths that are ideal for me. And I'm doing the hard work of like building towards those things. And those are often the scariest things because they're the things that you most crave to move towards. It has been a joy to watch you bloom in the sunshine. Oh, thanks. You too. And we can't wait to watch you guys bloom too. I mean, I don't know. We may never get to watch you, but, uh, we'll be watching. Because someone put up an internet an internet video of you throwing up in the corner. We're watching. Yeah. We're watching and we're laughing. Yeah. But but seriously, anything that we can do to uh you know, answer your questions, hold you yeah. accountable to being those best versions of yourself, fucking let us know. Email us. It, free advice podcast at gmail dot com. We it, want to support it makes your us journey. So happy to receive a question, even if we yeah. don't use it. It's so nice to receive emails. Yes. So if we need validation to this, too, guys. Yeah. <laughs> And the people on Reddit who respond whenever we yeah. answer your questions, that feels great. Oh I know some God. of you guys have started listening to episodes that you're not featured in, and that feels awesome, too. I'm yes. glad that some of you have joined this community, and we'd love to hear from you. Again, you can email us your questions at freeadvicepodcast at gmail.com, or you can just keep posting on Reddit and get in the yeah. whole community, and maybe we'll stumble upon it that way. Yeah. But, you know, post your question and maybe tag us in the question on Reddit. Is like, I'd also like to hear from the free advice guys. I didn't know that was a function. Oh, um, please do that. You'd have to use my username, whatever that is, whatever I responded to your initial question with. You have to just link me nice. and then I'll Specific. see the notification. Yeah. So go back to that post and look at my response and then link that. Account. I'm pretty sure my username is Morgan Beard Coach, but I've never pretty much done anything on Reddit. So you won't. Yeah, it'll, find be, me. it'll be coming from Rob, um, <laughs> which I think is yeah. Bob Joe Raps, but I don't want to get into spelling or like that on the pod. Like, just, yeah. You'll find it if it was on there. All right. Um, ooh, what did you think of this? I thought it was great. I thought it was long. Because yeah. here we are coming up on lots ooh. of time. But there's a lot of good shit in it. I mean, yeah. You, you, people can pause and listen to more of it later or turn it off. That's fine. But I never felt like there was a moment of it that I was like, oh, this is the podcast sucks right now. So <laughs> wish, no, wish we no. cut this. It was solid. It was solid. Chock full. We're getting better. And pretty soon we're just going to graduate to being a two-hour podcast is what I'm <laughs> anticipating. And then Joe Rogan, here we come. <laughs> we are ascending to the plane of Roganness. But you'll just become Bobby Joe Rogan. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I don't want to put ideas in your head. Okay. Especially that idea. Mm. You'll be uh, more Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> I really shoved his name. That was really funny. <laughs> All right. Tight. Um, Tight. We love you guys. Yeah. Fucking keep going out there and being your best selves. Keep fighting the good fight, Isaac, and do it with love. Yeah.